welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 20 starting in verse 19 and the last time the message was titled in the crucible in the crucible and basically you know Jesus is he's in Jerusalem triumphal entry I suspect that you know if he didn't cause so much and and in a good way uh, excitement and uh, uproar uh, that he might not have been crucified, but we know that the Scripture said that he had to be. And why did he have to be crucified? For us, right? To die for our sins. So he's going through, he's in the temple, right? The religious seat, if you know history, it's where everything happened, the sacrifices took place, etc. And uh, he's really going up against the corrupt religious system. And boy, after 2,000 years of Christianity, hopefully we can pick out what's real and what's not real so he's going up against the corrupt religious system and they seal his his fate is sealed to be crucified so a few days from now he's going to be led off and nailed to a cross and there he's going to die for our sins precedent in old testament leviticus 17 etc so again why was he in the crucible because of you right because of me because he loves us uh today the message is titled the greater priority now, if you've been a Christian for a while, and as I go through the Scripture and I start reading it, you're going to say, oh, I've heard that taught. I went to a church that taught that, or I've seen a teaching like that on the Internet, online. Um, but sometimes we can get caught up in, and we have this discussion, don't we? And it's a valid discussion about taxes. They ask Jesus, should we pay taxes or not pay taxes? And then we can get caught up in this whole discussion about should we pay taxes when Jesus tells us, hey, there's a greater priority. Give to God what's God. So there is a term called dual citizenship, right? We, are, we live here. We live on the planet. So we're citizens of the earth. But as born-again believers, we're also citizens of heaven. And we need to know how to, how to parse that, how to give and be good citizens, right, to hopefully win people to Jesus. But at the same time, not, you know, not forget the most important priority is that we're citizens of heaven, and that how we conduct ourselves, hopefully, even just by our lifestyles, that unbelievers see, hey, there's something different about that person. I am interested in that. So we're going to look at this in five parts as we go through it and check it out. So starting with verse 19, Luke 20, verse 19. It says, And the chief priests... And the scribes, right, part of that religious echelon, that very hour sought to lay hands on him, on Jesus. Because now he's starting to tell parables too. And the parables are about, you know, if you, if you interpret them, they're about the corrupt religious system that he's really trying to expose to the people. Uh, but they feared the people for they knew that he, Jesus, had spoken this parable against them, the religious system. So they watched him and sent spies. Wow who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words and in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor who was Pontius Pilate, who's a Roman. This is like bizarro world because the religious system hated the Romans. They didn't like the occupation. 
They didn't like the imperialism, so to speak. But here they are. They'll do anything to get rid of Jesus. Stop him from talking. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Verse 21, Then they asked him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. That's called flattery, by the way, if you didn't get that. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you test me? I know what you're doing, guys. Show me a denarius whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and they kept silent. Now remember, they talked for a living. So for them to keep silent was pretty remarkable. All right, verse or part one out of five is Jesus is questioned about taxes. So I love to go into the other gospels because there's some nuances. You get a richness when you go through all the different gospels about a particular event because the gospel writers, like us, are individuals. They're people. They're writing to a specific specific audience. So they say, "Hey, this is the event that happened." Okay, and they add some things, some nuances that maybe the other ones didn't based on their audience. It's actually quite fascinating. So what we find out in Matthew and Mark's gospel when we read this account is that it wasn't just the scribes and the elders it was the, and the priests, it was the Pharisees and Herodians which were also joining together to try to take, take Jesus out. Now, the Pharisees were sort of the, uh, the teachers, but the Herodians were more of a sort of a quasi-political religious group. They supported Herods, um, who were sort of false messiahs, or uh, political messiahs, right? We see that in politics today. People want their politicians to be sort of this messiah, little M, and Jesus is the only messiah. But they come together, interesting bedfellows, to have a common enemy, which is Jesus, to attack him. And I would just say this, don't be surprised that when you're doing it right, when you're carrying the message of God, if you've been a Christian for a while, and I know I've seen it, that people will come against you. I had a situation where there were two people in the courts, and I'm talking about like criminal court, right? Vicious, you know, animosity. And, uh, you know, I'm just doing what I'm doing here. And one decided to come against me, and that person who used to be an enemy became an ally to come and attack me. Go figure. But this stuff doesn't surprise me anymore. And, you know, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, the Bible says, although I begin in a fist fight every day, right? We're fighting against the powers, the, the spiritual powers that manipulate people that don't even know sometimes they're being manipulated. So it's an interesting thing to look at. Verse 19, the religious leaders considered arresting Jesus, but they feared the people. Now that to me is cowardice because if you truly were a spiritual leader or a religious leader, you have to sometimes call out something that's false. So if they really believed, which I don't think they did, that Jesus was a false teacher, they should have, it was their job description to call him out, regardless if the people get upset or not. And we see that today with politicians, right? Public opinion polls. Well, let's see, what decision should I make? Hey, um, can you, Reuters, can you do a poll? Tell me what the people say. And then, you know, I want to get reelected next term. But you know what? Sadly, spiritual religious leaders today do the same thing. They take polls. And they don't want to offend the masses and, God forbid, 
truncate their lifestyle and the, and the money coming in. So, um, again, we talked about this last Sunday with the um, parable of the vineyard that Jesus spoke about, and he was exposing them through it. Now, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes from this pulpit, I have to call out something that's a false teaching or a false ministry, and I've never regretted any time I did it. You know, the history proved that what I said was true. Ephesians 5.11 says not to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather to expose them. Very important stuff here, right? We want people to see the truth. In verse 20, the religious leaders sent spies, which is crazy, you know? How crazy is that a system that's supposedly dedicated to God, and they weren't rendering to God what was God's, obviously, that they, they do all these machinations and they get all these people to be plants in the crowd. And I mean, it takes a lot of work. It's, you know, to, to try to take Jesus out, right? How hard does your heart have to be to do something like that? You know, and I, sometimes I try to reason this and I just shouldn't. It's, I don't know these guys. Um, they probably didn't make it to heaven because of the, um, the worst type of hip- hypocrisy is religious hypocrisy. And Jesus covers this in Matthew 23. He devotes a whole chapter to it. And he tells them that where they're headed for judgment. Um, some of them did heed his warning, thankfully, and they did repent. But, you know, if you see another ministry, right? And I've seen this too. I've been um, Christian for a few decades now. And uh, I've seen this sort of uh, Christian competition, which I think is weird. To me personally, if every church in this area was opening up the Bible on a Sunday morning and teaching from the gospel, from the Jesus teachings, I'd be happy. Somebody says, oh, I'm, you know, that church. I actually have people leave this church and say this church is too big for me. <laughs> and, and it's okay. Different strokes for different folks. I want a, a much smaller church. And I'm like, as long as they're teaching the Bible, God bless you. You know what I'm saying? That is a wonderful thing. There shouldn't be competition. Every church in this area should be teaching the Bible. Um, that's a blessing, right? Uh, because it's only worldly to have competition. Who's got more numbers? Who's got a better, you know, projector and worship team? And it gets ridiculous. I, I just can't be a part of that. So uh, verses 21 through 22. So this is a question that they asked Jesus. How many of you have heard the expression, a gotcha question? Gotcha, right? This is a lot of what the media does. They don't like a certain candidate. They ask them a question that they can't get out of. And if you say yes, it hurts you one way. If you say no, listen, I was in the courts for 25 years. I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to do telepathy with the person on the stand saying, don't fall, don't get sucked into that. They do the attorneys. It's just, it's just a big game. It's like these gotcha questions. So let's go into what the gotcha question is. So Jesus, should we pay taxes to Rome? <laughs> if Jesus says, no, don't pay taxes, it's going to be, these people are just going to disappear and they're going to end up going to the Roman government and say, we have witnesses, Jesus is leading an insurrection, you need to arrest him, kill him now. So that was the one possibility if he said, don't pay taxes. If Jesus said, yeah, sure, pay taxes, they will immediately go to the people and say, he's a Roman sellout, he can't be the Messiah, don't follow him anymore. So do you see how Jesus is in a pinch? This is God the Son. <laughs> and I love just watching him. I'm like, wow, that's the mind of God. You know, no matter how they try to put him into a corner. And it wasn't about him trying to wiggle out of it. It's just that he just is going to share the truth. And he's not going to get caught up in the questions that they ask him. And I, I have to smile because I did a lot of testifying in court. And, you know, I'm, I'm just sitting there on the stand waiting for the attorney. Like you could, I'm reading his mind how he's trying to trap me with something. So um, 
I, I learned great, really good from my Savior. Just tell the truth. This is the truth. And it isn't the way you frame that question. Uh, verse 21, I just have to touch on the flattery because we can get sucked up in it, can't we? Right? And I have to admit in the early days of being a pastor, I, just, I got caught. It's like, it's like flypaper, right? It flypaper, there's a scent to it and it looks a certain way to the bugs. And once you get caught on that flypaper, you're not getting out of it. So Jesus, oh, you know, you're so righteous and you don't care what people think and they're trying to puff them up and set them up for the kill. But it didn't work. So be careful of flattery. To me, when people say something about me and it's positive, I just say, you know what, praise God. And I mean it. Anything good that I am, it comes from God Himself. So as long as I can stay in that, I won't get sucked into the flattery trap. Verses 23 through 24, um, we see how Jesus... Uh, you know, kind of goes through this and answers this. And if it was a denarius, uh, you know, you, uh, there was Augustus and then there was Tiberius and Tiberius uh, had certain coins and you would see his image and inscription. Some of the inscriptions were almost deifying to the person, but you would see his a picture of his face or him sitting on the throne and people collect these coins. They're very interesting to see, to go back 2,000 years and see what they look like. But it's not much different from the coins that we have, whether it's Lincoln or any of the people on there. Um, sometimes there's, there's, well, there are inscriptions and, and there's an image. So they, you know, so they give it to him and he looks at it and this is what he does. Verses 25 through 26, you know, his answer, again, and this is important because people will look at this uh, subjectively instead of objectively, Right? And they'll say, well, he just was, you know, trying to get out of... What was he trying to get out of? He's going to be crucified. He knows that. So what's he trying to get out of? He's just trying to keep the people from getting caught up in this religious hegemony where they're being controlled by ungodly men who are not properly representing God. So that's an important thing to understand. And the religious men, oddly enough, were not giving God what he deserved. Now remember, some of them, I, maybe sometimes I, I kind of imagine myself there and, and watching it, and it's kind of a fascinating endeavor, and you know, it's, it's uh, conjecture. You know, I wasn't there, obviously. There's no videotapes of it. Uh, but you know, I could imagine some of them going, maybe murmuring and say, oh, he got us again. He, this one didn't work. Let's try something else. Instead of... Listening to Jesus, he said, give God what's God's. Now, for you and I, when we read this, we should give God what, what can I give to God? You know, God has you know, done all the heavy lifting so I could have eternal life. You know, what does God want from me? What does he want me to do with my life? These are questions that every believer at some point really needs to be asking. You know, how does he want me to serve him? I want to do something for the kingdom. I want to do something to get other people interested in leaving a life of dysfunction and coming to Christ and having real joy and peace and knowing that they're going to be in eternity forever. I want to be a part of that. So the religious leaders, instead of doing that, were just looking at this as sort of a game of cat and mouse. But here's the sad part. Jesus said before, He said to the religious leaders, like they would, uh, this tithing thing, give 10%. So they'd have their little herb gardens and their anise and their, their peppermint and whatever herbs that they had. And they would like pluck little sprigs off of them and say, oh, I'm going to give this to God. I'm giving my tenth. It's like, it's like this nothing. But they're so, they're so disproportionate with the silly plants and, and the little pieces of it. And Jesus said, you tithe of your herb plants, but you neglect mercy and justice. 
Right? We talk about justice all the time in our culture. What is, what is God's justice? Forget about putting all the, you know, the prefixes before justice. Right? What does um, God's justice look like? Right? The religious system was supposed to look out for the widows and the fatherless and you know, all that kind of stuff, and they were ignoring it. But hey, you know, I, I tithe my little, little sprig off my, my plant. You know, so mercy and justice, those are big things. And when you're in a person, a position of power, you have that ability to mete out justice and mercy. You know, I would pray every day when I was a police officer, I'd put on my uniform and I would pray every day, God, give me wisdom. Before I got out, before I even got into the station to punch in, I, I, I realized that I had a position of power as a police officer. I was a training officer. I, I achieved a lot of things. I did three presidential duties, uh, details for three presidents that had come in our town. I mean, I can go on. It was a long resume. Um, but I would pray, Lord, as I don't know what I'm going to see today when I go out onto the road. You know, help me to discern who's right, who's wrong. Help me not to f- accuse the wrong person. You know, these were the things that in my 25-minute drive to work, I would do that. I was concerned about justice. In my position, I was concerned about mercy. I found myself almost becoming an advocate to people who got in trouble and trying to talk them out of getting get caught up in the system, you know, which coached them how to get out of the system and start a new life for themselves. So when you have that position of power and authority, governors, presidents, senators, congresspeople, what are they doing with their time? However, these people were commensurate to the power of those people that I just met, or that I just met, that I just spoke about. So um, they were not doing it. I believe that he was talking to the people. I believe he speaks to us through this world, this word, um, but he's also speaking to the leaders who could have changed things and they didn't, right? It probably went over their heads a lot of times. Two out of five is render to Caesar what is Caesar. Now, again, I've heard this. I'm going to touch on this, and I'm not going to go into it too deep because because a lot of people, when they teach on it, go very deeply, and they neglect the part of rendering to God what is God. I really want to focus on that, and that's what I believe Jesus' focus was. But Romans 13, I taught on this, and I'll just go through it briefly. Um, Government is imperfect. Government has sinners running government, right? But the alternative, the extreme alternative, is anarchy. One of these dystopian movies that you can see, and there's just nothing. You know, if you don't have enough protection and you don't have enough, you know, food supplies, you're going to starve or whatever. And, And we've seen this play out in, sadly enough, Venezuela and other countries that the government starts to collapse and the people suffer. It happens all the time. It's very sad. So in God's economy, an imperfect government where there's some order, there's some protection, um, there's some, you know, taxes being paid for, for services, that's better than complete anarchy. Uh, and we can have this discussion. So you look at the municipal government, county government, state government, federal government, school, emergency services, uh, public works, you know, the parks, and that's what our taxes go to. I have to laugh because I have it on my calendar. I have a calendar with big blocks, and I write all the things I have to do. I have to pay my first quarter county taxes tomorrow. So I I was laughing as I was uh, going through the message. I looked over, and the tax bill had just come in on Saturday. You owe this much money. Yay! You know, Uh, and every year the taxes go up. I can tell you that faithfully. 
Um, thank God this year it didn't go up too much. So I, I smiled when I was reading this, and you know, I, I like where I live. They don't do a perfect job, but I get it. They've got to take some of my money to repair the roads and police protection, firemen, first aid, and all that stuff. So, you know, we can have this discussion. I'm not going to get too deep into it. Uh, you know, I covered it more in, in Romans 13. But what we, what we see is that we're, we should be good citizens, right? We should be good citizens. People should look at us and they should say, well, that person is, you know, they're an upright person. Even if we've messed up in life and, and we've tried to change and, you know, we come to the Lord and we, that, that to me I think is very impressive. When someone has a past and, and, and they're, they're just walking good now, their relationships are better. It's not perfect, but it's like they say, oh, I don't do what I used to do. And I'm like, that's a testimony to God in their lives. So I love that. I love to encourage people. I love when people change. And, you know, it happened to me as well. Here's where the conflict comes in, is that in Acts chapter 4 and 5, Peter and John were out in the streets and they were preaching about Christ. And they were told by the authorities, don't preach in his name again. Because, again, there was a sort of a politico-religious sort of connection there. And um, if, they, if the, a lot of the people came to Christ, some of the political religious people would lose some of their power. Uh, but they said that they were going to anyway. So there might be a time where we want to be good citizens of this world, of our country, but we're asked to do something that's ungodly or wicked. And we just say, you know, I don't want to be in trouble with the law or the government, but like with uh, you know, Peter and John, they had no choice but to just, they didn't flout it. They didn't say, I dare you to come catch me. They just went and they did what the Lord was doing. And I'm seeing videos of, you know, what a weird video, in, in England and uh, Germany and France and Europe, how they're really attacking Christians for just sometimes just being outside and praying and, and standing somewhere. And I, I remember saw this video, was it England? Uh, some of you might have seen it where it's a real true video. The cop comes up to the the person and um, says, what do you do? And she's like, well, I'm just praying. He goes, well, what are you saying? She goes, well, I'm just praying to God. It's, it's between me and God. It's not really your business. He arrests her. This is what's happening in Europe. Um, they're trying to push this stuff here. Uh, you know, we're now a problem because we believe in morals and the world is going away from morals. And where is that going to put us? Actually, I got really mad at the cop. I'm like, you shouldn't wear that badge. Shame on you. You're arresting this woman for praying. It's all she was doing. So, um, you know, he just didn't like where she was, etc. Anyway, continuing on. Here's the interesting thing. And going back and forth between, you know, being a good citizen and when to, you know, just say, I'm just going to do the Lord's will and I'm going to do it quietly and I'm going to mind my own business. This happens to the persecuted church. North Korea, China, Iran, right? A lot of Christians that just get arrested. Uh, China, the underground church, just for having house churches. You know, this, the state doesn't like that. Go to the state communist church. Of course, there's no deity of Christ. There's no, you know, worship him. It's worship the communist government. So Christians are arrested. They're violating the law just by be, having prayer meetings and baptisms, right? So this is an interesting thing as we look at over the centuries and millennia. Now, what's interesting here is that in A.D. 70 and 132 A.D., there, were, there was a revolutionary movement. One was about Bar Kokhba, who claimed to be a messiah. That was 132 A.D. And the other one was the Sakari and the Zealots. I covered this. Um, I covered a lot of history. It was last Sunday. Um, and they tried to force a violent messianic movement, and God wasn't in it. Both of those things failed miserably. 
So it's, it's an interesting thing when you look at history and say, where was God? What was he doing? Was he just stepping back? Did he remove his pr- protective hand? So it's, it's actually a larger discussion when we look at history. Three out of five is render to God what is God's, which to me is the most important thing about the entire discussion. Remember, on the coin and on our coins, whether it's Caesar's image or a president's image on the coin and their inscription, he says, just give, that to, give it to Caesar, you know, you know, if this is what's required of you. However, God's image and inscription should be on our hearts. Amen? So the coin, they don't last, right? They collect Roman coins. Rome's gone. They're worth money because it's rare. Nobody cares. Rome is, is disintegrated. Um, who knows what will happen to the United States, but the kingdom of God will last forever. So the most important thing is that God is God's image, right? And his inscription is on our hearts. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Part of God is we're sealed, 2 Corinthians uh, tells us, and, and other scriptures. So it's kind of a neat thing. Render to God what is God's. And listen, we can have a deep theological discussion about the government and taxes, uh, but then not dig deep into our own hearts and see where we're not giving God what's God's. And that's the, see, this is the trap that we can be in in American culture in 2023 in churches is that we read something and say, oh, that's cool. That was historic. Wow, look how Jesus got out of that. Wow, Jesus is awesome. We love Jesus. The disciples love Jesus. And he came back from the dead. But then what we don't do is we don't apply what we've learned out of what we read. That's why it's called the living word. We don't apply it to our lives in 2023. And that's where we have to dig deep. We have to ask ourselves, am I rendering to God truly what is God's? So I personally, I can pay my tax bill tomorrow. I paid my income taxes. So if the government is listening, I pay my taxes. I paid sales tax when I go to the store. Tax, 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 tax. Um, But the bottom line is New Jersey state tax, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But it doesn't prohibit me from fully rendering to God what's God's. And, And that should be of my primary concern, especially as a pastor. Again, the irony in all this, if you look at history, is there wouldn't be a Roman Empire occupying Jerusalem had the ancestors of these religious leaders rendered to God what was God's centuries ago. Let that sink in. And I like to do these things. God said, basically, King Josiah, all these reforms. Okay, I'm going to stop the Babylonians from getting over the wall. Don't worry about it. They're not getting into Jerusalem. Then Josiah dies and all the evil worship comes back in and the pagan worship and God's like, I can't be a part of this. Babylonians get in. Same thing happened with Rome, right? Had the ancestors listened to what the scripture said, right? I talked about Malachi in the opening. Listen to Micah, listen to Malachi, listen to Isaiah, listen to Jeremiah. Hey, you guys going in the wrong direction, the culture, you got to stop. And folks, we, we can see this in American culture, can't we? Where are we going in American culture? Anything goes at this point. Nothing is, is wrong anymore. Even people who are attracted to little children, they don't call them what we used to call them years ago. Now they're minor attracted persons. Maps. Well, that's a nice name. Well, that's an adult, 35-year-old man, 80-year-old man, who's attracted to a 7-year-old child. That's not normal. It's evil. But they're trying to normalize it in our culture, right? You see the movie that came out about human uh, trafficking, sex trafficking of children. Um, a lot of you might have seen the movie. Cavizial was in it. It was actually based on a true story of a government agent. And you, the media is coming out against the movie. Why would you do that? You have a problem with 
child sex trafficking being exposed? What is your problem? Are you people that sick? Are you people that wicked? Conspiracy theory? I was in law enforcement. I can tell you trafficking exists. I can tell you that it exists. And we were trained that even when we dealt with people who were involved in prostitution, that they might be being held against their will. We as law enforcement orphans had to be trained. These people might be, they might be threatening their family. They might be overseas. They might have come over here thinking they were getting a modeling job. So we had to, we had to know so much stuff about the evils that are going on in our culture. And as I was riding around in my patrol car and people were sleeping, evil was going on, right? And, and we, we had to face that and confront it. And I make no apologies for doing that. So th- this is what's going on in our culture. I don't even know where I am at this point. Wow. <laughs> but it was a good point, though, wasn't it? You know? I mean, I think we should be, if we're going to spend billions of dollars on the, in the government, we need to stop slavery, which goes on in the world. We need to stop sex trafficking, trafficking the fentanyl that's being poisoning our kids. These should be above everything, but they're not. They're not prioritized. What does that tell you about this world? It's very sad. It's very sad. Um, so I guess going back to, you know, even the Christian culture, you know, what do we do? And sometimes it's overwhelming. Somebody said it, uh, was it the men's group? It's true. We, we watch TV, we watch the news, and it's overwhelming. And you say, I'm just one person. What can I do? Number one, this is an easy one. You don't even have to be ambulatory for this. Make it a point every day to pray for our country and our world. Right? People in war-torn regions. Devote a certain amount of time praying for revival. That even if things start to implode, that there are many people that get over to the right side, the side of God, before those things happen, before judgment happens. So that's, a, that's an easy one. We can all do that. Pray. Right? Get involved. Ask questions. What can I be a part of? Um, maybe certain organizations that expose these things. You know, how can I maybe even sign up to, to work for them you know, and, and help them out? Um, and again, you know, it, is it valid? Is it not valid? Is it a scam? Is it a real organization? So there's a lot of things we can do. How do I change? What do I change about myself? What do I change about myself so that I exude Christ? So that even, I'm not, you know, listen, I'm a talker, obviously. But you could say, I'm not much of a talker, Pastor Joe. Okay, what can we change about our lives where people are attracted to how we just are kind to people, how we minister to people, how we volunteer? Do they see that in us? Or do, and, you know, it's a gimme when somebody sees something about you and you're not much of a talker and they come up to you and say, wow, there's something different about you. How come you're not, like all of us at this job, we're losing our minds. Why are you not getting crazy like the rest of us? That could be an open door to share your faith. So you got to be careful of, we have to be careful of saying somebody else will do it, right? Pastors will do it. The clergy will do it. The church will do it. We are part of the church. We're all part of the church here. What you do in the children's ministry, I love the children's ministry. Teaching those young minds, should the Lord tarry? You know, there were, there were some girls that came here uh, 15 or more years ago. Eight-year-old girls, nine-year-old girls. I've been doing this for so long that they're now in their 20s. I've done a few of their weddings. <laughs> oh my goodness, I feel so old. She was eight, eight years old. She grew up before my eyes took a... She's going to marry this guy and they asked me to do the wedding. So, you know, what did we teach her? What do we teach the little boys? What do we teach them as they grow up and they go out into the world? And they're going out all over the place. Some of them overseas, some of them out of state. And I just, I just feel, you know... 
we're not a huge church, but I just, I just feel really good about pouring into the young minds because there's a lot of our culture pouring into the young minds, for the, confusing the heck out of these kids. Like the, the stats on mental health, you know, they do all these abusive things and then they go, oh, our kids are have suicidal ideations. Well, what do you think that is? Let kids be kids. Preserve their innocence. Let them learn things to their level. They could do whatever they want when they become adults. It's a free country. Leave them alone as kids. That's, I'm very passionate about that. So I have a meme, um, you know, a meme about, and it's kind of funny, it's hypothetical. It's Jesus is on a park bench, and he's sitting with a young man, and the young man says, if, if you can't read it back there, he says, so Jesus, why do you allow things like famine, war, suffering, disease, crime, homelessness, despair to exist in our world? And Jesus says, interesting that you should bring that up as I was about to ask you the same question. You know what I'm saying? So, right? We, we have a world, if you, if you want that meme, we'll definitely give it to you. It's kind of cool. Um, we live in a world where God gave us the planet, right? And through the sin of human nature, it's, it's declined. But I, I have friends who are atheists who ask that question. I say, dude, what are you doing? One guy, I love him, I do. I trained him um, years ago. And I'm like, when I go on Facebook, you're always on vacation. You got $10,000. I mean, I went there. I'm like, your lifestyle is all about, and God bless you. Get an expensive watch, go on vacation. But that's all he does. I'm like, I'm doing my part. What are you doing? And he's, no, blah, blah, blah. And he starts, I'm like, dude, God gave us the planet. What are you doing? Right? What are we doing as people? I even say this as, as churches. If we all came together, it's probably over a billion Christians in the world. If we all did something small, imagine what a billion Christians could do. Imagine a billion Christians petitioning God day in and day out. And God's like, oh, well, all right, I'll do something. You know, it's not how he is. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Do what you want with it. Um, take it to heart. And, again, something small. Something small. Okay, four out of five is the reason for the rendering. Now, I'm just going to go into this briefly because it's Mark's gospel, but this was part of the conversation that took place over probably a few days. And this is really the reason, reasoning for the rendering and how great God is. So let's look at Mark chapter 12. Mark's gospel chapter 12. And I'm going to tie it in. Verse 28. It says, then one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Or which is which the greatest commandment? So many commandments in the Mosaic law. What's, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered him and said, the first of all the commandments is, and this comes from Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So, 
When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That's powerful. That's powerful. And can I tell you something? You know, people, and when I became a Christian, I was in religion, I become a Christian. I don't know, religion was kind of neat for me because I was able to keep God at an arm's distance. I wanted to do, do my thing. I didn't really want his interference unless I was in trouble. Though then I was so close to him. That's using God, by the way. So then I become a Christian, and I'm starting to read the Bible and listen to the teachings, and I'm like, how do I love God? And people ask that. People say, you know, Pastor Joe, what you're saying is really intriguing, but I don't know how to do it. But that's okay. It's a learning curve. It takes some time. It took me time to understand that I just don't throw rote prayers at God, and I just don't call on Him. Knock, knock, God, I need help. Okay, go back. You help me. I'm just going to go back to my lifestyle. I'll call you in a few months when I need you again. That's not the way it works. So this whole thing about a relationship took time. So to say, I could easily say, throw Bible bullets at you and say, yeah, just love God. With all my heart, with all my strength. Can I tell you something? I'm still working on that. I've been doing this from this pulpit for about 20 years. I'm still working on that. So don't think I've mastered it. It's, it's a lifelong pursuit because I still have my flesh that tries to pull me in a direction that's away from God. I'm just being honest with you. You're going to get honesty from this pulpit. But it's interesting to love God first. There's a few commandments. There's actually four of them in the Ten Commandments that affect God. You know, don't make false images. Don't worship anything but God Himself. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. There's all of these things, four of them, that have to do with God. But when we love God and we, when we go out on a pursuit, and I want to help you out here with this because, again, I'm still working on this as well, is that... We compete in a world every day, the images in our minds, the things we hear, the television, the, the phones, you know, the computer, now AI stuff. If we weren't manipulated enough, AI is, wants to manipulate us more. <laughs> That's a scary thing when you look at some of the young people who are drawn into this. But the culture teaches us to love the God of, small g, God of self, right? Self, you, you know, it's all about you. Higher self-esteem. It's just the eternal pursuit. I tell you the truth. When you're loving God and you're doing what He calls you to do and you're making a difference in other people's life, your self, natural self-esteem just gets elevated. You're like, wow, I'm doing something for the Lord and He's letting me do it. That's cool. I'm working for... So I could work for the CEO down the street. Somebody is the CEO of one of these big companies. God's the CEO of the universe. <laughs> He's the CEO of eternity. That's cool stuff, right? So he wants to stretch us. He wants us to be other, other center. He wants us to love our neighbor. Now, again, on TV, it's all about dividing us, is to get us to be suspicious of our neighbors. I live in a very, so I guess you'd say multicultural, um, you know, I, we loved the house and it was, you know, in a place and in a certain town, and we didn't know much about the town. We lived there, and it's kind of cool. On one side, we have Central Americans. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a language barrier, but, you know, we've been communicating with them. Um, further down, we have Orthodox Jewish people that, that live there. Uh, we, I have my, my Italian friends from New York that are right next to me on the other side. It's very interesting. You talk about a melting pot. I actually love it. I love the diversity, you know, and... I found that when I became a Christian and I understood, love your neighbor as yourself, we're all neighbors. You're all my neighbors. Actually, you're all more than that. You're all brothers and sisters because you're in the family of God. 
And when you, when you get into that big tent of Christianity, you realize anybody could be my neighbor. If you look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritans were hated. There was a, a visceral, ethnic, racial, there was this tension. It's been, this has been existing since sin entered the world. And God says, you're all family. Well, stop behaving like that. You know, I read Revelation and it talks about John seeing all these people in heaven. And he says they're from different tribe, tongue, nation, kindred. What you see is the diversity, right? My brothers and sisters are in China. They're in Africa. They're in Europe. They're in Asia. And I, I don't, I'm not much of a traveler, so I probably won't see them now. But in heaven, I will see them. And maybe we'll compare notes. So love your neighbor as yourself. That means whenever you deal with anybody, consider the possibility that that might be the neighbor that the Lord wants you to minister to. Is that an easy one to do? Right? So we talked about the first four commandments. There's six more commandments in the Ten Commandments. Don't murder. Well, if you don't hate anybody, and if they offend you, you forgive them, probably not going to murder them. Right? Don't steal. If you respect them and what they have and what they've worked for, or they inherited it, whatever, God bless them. It's theirs. Don't covet. Right? So we can go through the list. So God's like, you know, Christ, God the Son is like, the first one is love God. And then the other one naturally falls from its progression. The, the more you love God, you understand his, his, his idea. Then you look out at people. Sometimes I do this. I'll, I'll be somewhere and I don't know if I'm sitting down or I'm, I'm, I'm eating at a diner. I just, I just look at people. I just look at people and say, they're all people. This has been going on for thousands of years. You know, I wonder. I wonder if I'm related to them in some way. You know, through, through I don't know. Um, it's, it's really a cool thing. So, but the, the, the most important thing here is, is to love God first and everything else flows from that. There are people today that even in Christianity, they only love family and friends and those that affirm the God of self. They don't go out of that comfort zone. They don't go you know, out of that idea, that mindset, because it's all about how they're being affirmed from the set of people that they love. You ever meet people who, this, this was re recently, and you, almost everybody has that one person in their family, you're all dead to me. Something happened, and they get offended. Oh, you're laughing. It's the, my Mediterranean background. Well, we have them in our family. You're all dead to me. You're not my brothers and sisters. And Oh, come on. The drama until the, your new set of brothers and sisters offend you and then they're dead to you and you're by yourself. But um, okay, let's move on. <laughs> Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you follow my word. You follow my commandments. Okay, so how do we love God? Well, do we know his word? What if we think something is right, but something is wrong? And we read his word and five years into this understanding of who we are as Christians, we read and go, oh, God isn't pleased by this. Well, I could, I could change. I could try to. I could ask for his help. But, you know, and I've, I've said this to people who are, are maybe caught up in religion and have never read the Bible. The church doesn't teach from the Bible. What are they doing for 45 minutes? But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll follow my word. So, hey, I love Jesus. Well, I want to be in the I love Jesus category. But in that category is love in his word. But how do I know if I love his word if I don't know his word? Simple logic. Get to know his word. Go to a church. Listen to teachings where the word is taught. Really neat stuff. So you want to be in the right category. i just leave you with one more thing. In Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
I have a lot of Jewish friends. That's called the Shema or the Hear. And that, uh, you go to a Jewish person's house and usually on the, the doorpost is a sort of on a slant. It's um, a little pretty box and in it is Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay. I'm going to try Hebrew here. Okay. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. What do you think? <laughs> now you can call me Rabbi Joe. Okay. The cool thing, now you have to question, why was the religious leader quoting that to Jesus? By this time, Jesus had already claimed deity. Deity. But the Lord is one. The Lord is in heaven. You're here. You can't be God. The word for one, echad, there's two Hebrew words, echad and yokid. Yokid was not used. You look at all the ancient manuscripts. When God told Moses to write these things down, Yochid means only one, solitary one. Echad means a united one or a compound unity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're one. They're a compound unity. Right? Look at myself. I look in the mirror. I'm spirit, I'm mind, and I'm body. There's three of Joe DeProsimo, but it just makes the one me. So I am a compound unity, right? God made us in His image. We're not deity, but there's a reflection of God in us when he created us. So again, let me just make this clear. We're not deity, but we are three in one. We're triune in a sense. So pretty neat stuff. Okay, five. Are we rendering to God? Let's take this full circle. The greatest priority. A lot of things were said today. We talked about loving God, which is the greatest priority. When we love God, we give to God what we should give to God. What can we give to God? But why do we give to God? Because He's wonderful. In 1 John 4, it says that He loved us first. You know, He created the human race. When the human race fell away from Him and pulled away, what did He do? He made a, he made a, a solution. God is always, like, we're His children. Every time we fall down and get bumped and bruised, He's always trying to, way, trying to find a way to fix us and get us back to harmony with Him. But He also gave us free will. So we can choose to go through this life, do what we want, live how we want, or we can choose to do the greater thing and render to God what's God. So this kind of started out with a discussion with religious leaders trying to trap, trap Jesus, and it ends up really with a heart check of the individual believer, no matter who's listening. And i got to tell you, in the early days of my walk with the Lord, did I really want the Lord to come in and do some house cleaning? Not really. So I would get caught up in abstract theology, which is what the religious leaders did. Let's talk about this. What do you say, Jesus? Well, let's argue about it. Well, who won? That's not how Jesus was looking at it. I got caught up in that stuff in the early days. As long as you didn't talk to me about my personal life, I was happy to come to church and listen and learn. Well, that had to change, obviously, because we can get caught up in it and not do what we're supposed to do. Every day in life, there's so many things that distract us. We talked about that. But are we giving God what is God? I'll leave you with this. What is God's? I wasn't there, obviously. But I can almost, if I had to use conjecture and, and in my opinion of possibly how Jesus did it, it's just a guess on my part, is Jesus, should we pay taxes or not? Jesus said, let me see a denarius. Whose image and inscription is on it? 
Don't you love when Jesus asks questions? He already knows the answer. He's looking at it. Whose image? He knows what's on the denarius. He's been around for 33 years. And they say Caesar's. You could picture him saying, give Caesar what's Caesar's. You render to God what is God's. Are we rendering to God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you're so awesome. You're so good. Your word is so powerful. It's so much punch in there, so much excitement, so much application, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that, you know, that we, when we read the Bible, we read it for everything that it's worth. We read it for why you gave it to us, why you said certain things. Is it to get caught up in worldly discussions about taxes and governments and things that don't matter so much? Or is it about Jesus' words? And it was a short sentence, but it punched a lot of power. I just pray, Lord, as we go forth today and this week, that we render to you what you rightly deserve. Lord, you're not hard with us. You're not cruel. You're kind. You're gentle. You want us to change, but a lot of times you help us to change slowly, Lord. But sometimes it can go a little faster if we are willing and we ask. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org Thanks for listening and may God bless.